0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to We Are Libertarians. My name is Chris Spangle, and this is a very special episode of the podcast, so we're going to get right into it. Uh, This is uh, a topic that... Now, we, we touch on and off here on the show. I wanted to have an expert on to talk about the relationship between Christianity and libertarianism, because I feel that the atheist wing of the libertarian movement is very well represented. Uh, and many on our audience are Christians who want to know more about it. And there's a great organization called the Libertarian Christian Institute run by a fellow named Norman Horn, who is on the line with me now.
1: Norman, how are you today? I'm doing wonderful, Chris. Thanks for having me on your show today. Yeah, thanks for
0: reaching out. I, Like I said, I'm, I'm excited to have this conversation because I think there are a lot of misconceptions about the relationship between uh, politics and religion and how that would function in a free society. So uh, I look forward to the conversation that we're going to have today. And I want to start with you and how you got started. How
1: did you become first a Christian and then a libertarian? Cool, I can totally tell you all about that. <laughs> uh, first of all, I, I really did grow up in, in a Christian household and have a fairly uh, sizable Christian heritage, if you will, and mostly in uh, the so-called Churches of Christ, uh, part of the the uh, Stone Campbell Restoration Movement that started up in kind of the 19th century, um, but really is a unification movement, if you will, for all Christians to to be a part of. Uh, that that was that's trying to unify in a sense behind the idea that that we are Christians first, even if we're not uh, the even if we're not the only Christians around, and uh, and so it really tries to focus on uh, you know the premacy of Scripture and uh, and utilizing that to the best extent we can to act like uh, the Christians of the first century and and really recapture this aspect of uh, of, of early Christendom. And, uh, and and what the early Christians were like cuz uh, they had the most direct model to uh, to Jesus that, that was uh that was at the time you know that they had they had the apostles example to follow and, and so that you know that's something that we're trying to sort of recapture in that um, but I I've, I've got a lot of friends in a lot of different denominations though and I, my wife comes from a presbyterian background uh, and, and so I, I love the church and I think it's uh, you know, the, mo- the most important uh, institution in the history of the world. And in fact, that's part of the reason why uh, I'm a libertarian in a sense is, uh, is, is to, to really say that the church is, is what needs to be the, the best culture influencing institution around us.
0: Yeah, there seems to be a move away from hierarchical organizations, more towards you know the the Christianity of acts. Essentially, it's funny you mm-hmm. mention that because you know we've seen obviously out of the Catholic Church into a ton of denominations, and then you had more of the structured or religious organizations all the way to. Uh, there was one day where I went from a Catholic mass and then went to a mega church like back to back in one day. And, oh wow. <laughs> and so the juxtaposition between, you know, even the Vatican II uh mass right into the baby boomer mega church. You're like, wow, this is a complete rebellion of what they were raised in and it seems like in the millennial generation you have a lot more of uh I don't know, tribal churches, smaller churches that seem to be a little bit closer to to what we saw and I think that fits really well with libertarianism because libertarianism as much as we you know bag on communism it really is about small communities and the end result of pure libertarianism or anarcho-capitalism in my opinion is organizing yourself in a way very much like acts
1: there yeah there's a lot of truth to that i think um you know that the the efficacy of denominations as a whole is just interesting because a lot of us do have, you know, slightly differing opinions on how we prefer to worship, on certain types of doctrines, and yet we all kind of agree about so many fundamental things that, you know, it's a good idea sometimes to have at least a little bit of space uh, so that you can, you know, be close when you need to be close and distance when you need to be slightly distance uh, in order to minimize conflicts. That's actually quite a libertarian thing when you think about it.
0: Right, absolutely. So let's talk about let's continue on your story. Uh, let's talk about how oh, you sure, yeah. how you discovered a little bit about libertarianism. I mean, were you born a libertarian, or did you have a <laughs> well, great in, awakening? In a, in a manner of
1: speaking, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I, I think it it really starts in uh, if you will in my in my teenage years uh, in the in the in the mid nineties. Um, we started. My family started homeschooling. Uh, Which was a, you know, we had never really been in public schools, but it was kind of a a revelation to us as to what we, you know, what what we could do on our own versus with the kind of tacit influence. Even the private school systems are very, you know, influenced by the public school uh, institution that we have in the United States. I mean, that's just a fact. So once you exit that entirely, things begin to look a little different. And, and in fact, there were, you know even in back in the 90s, despite the the you know the, the religious influence of of early homeschooling, um, or let's put it the religious influence in early homeschooling people was very very high, and that's different now than it was then. But there was still very much a libertarian streak. Uh, though most of the people even then would have really considered themselves more of the conservative variety of in especially in politics um, as a as an undergrad student in the, in the early 2000s though I began to kind of discover a few things here and there uh, I actually discovered Ron Paul back in I think it was I, I want to say it was 2002 it may have been 2003 um, and and re- it was a I can't even remember what the Website was and the party name. It was some. It was not the Libertarian Party at the time, um, but it, it had this you know notion that oh we should get back on the gold standard and and was proposing that Ron should run for president with Walter Williams as the vice president mm-hmm. nominee. It was kind of funny, um, you know. And thinking in retrospect, but it, it was uh, you know because both excellent men of course. Um, but you know that was that was a early exposure. And then um, when I got involved with the girl who would eventually be my wife, uh, her dad. Uh, got me on to reading some articles from the Mises Institute. And even though my father-in-law uh, a wonderful, wonderful man uh, is not really a hardcore libertarian. He he gets a lot of his economic views um, from kind of a libertarian perspective, and uh, and kind of is a Friedmanite, if you will.
0: Uh, oh, we need to get the-
1: we need to get him right out. We can't have
0: that sort of thing around here. Now. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Milton had his uh, his, his virtues as well, right. and certainly and certainly helps out a lot of uh, people in the along the pathway towards learning about liberty and, and in a great sense, and and uh, and and that's a good thing. So he. Got me into reading these articles from LVMI, and I just kind of got hooked. And I was I was just a young engineer at the time. I was studying chemical engineering and uh, at university, uh, and so I was I was thoroughly ensconced in the science. But even back in you know doing my economics classes, I wasn't exactly thrilled at what I was learning. It, it all sounded a little weird. So when I started learning you know real economics, I began to really like move in my own brain towards a new way of thinking. And then in early graduate school in at UT Austin. I, I remember my my wife and I we had been married for I don't remember it had be it couldn't have been even more than about six months, and I remember putting down you know my laptop and and saying like okay I've just realized that every argument that I have in favor of conservatism is actually better answered by liberty, and libertarian ideas. I don't think I can really be a conservative anymore.
0: <laughs> and, right
1: and and so we had this discussion and then I, uh, I I started talking to my parents about it a little bit and there was this there was some resistance on their end at first but then when I kind of explained to them that you know all these things that you taught me before about the about the problems in government and and. The, the wastefulness and, and evils of, of the Civil War even not because the South was right but because that but because why should people in the same country like that be fighting against each other this is insane when uh, when you know you could in, you, they ended slavery in England without fire, firing a shot and, uh, and and realizing that you know Christians shouldn't behave like that and, I'm, and I told them like look, I'm just doing what you taught me to do just more consistently sure and, <laughs> and they re- thought about that for a second and went oh, Okay, and now they're two of the biggest supporters of LCI, even the Libertarian Christian Institute. Hmm. Um, to fast forward a couple of years from there, later on, I, I did like Mises University, uh, and did a did some even some publishing in the in the in the space. Uh, published a peer reviewed article on uh, on you know, like uh, liber- liber- liberty ideas and in, in pollution control and stuff like that. Some really weird stuff, uh, and and started you know doing a lot of writing in a secondary space, which was the intersection. Of libertarian ideas and Christian theology, because at the same time as I'm going through my grad graduate work in chemical engineering, I began to do a little bit of graduate work here and there in um, in theology. At a, at a seminary in Austin, Texas, that uh, my family has a relationship with, and so they and my church had a relationship with, so they let me take a class a semester there. Uh, pretty much, you know, <laughs> just however I wanted to do it, and so I ultimately ended up getting a master's in theology along the way with my PhD in, in engineering. Uh, so I started, you know, applying my theological training to understanding how the the this intersection of you know Christian Christian thought and libertarian philosophy. Uh, that really started sparking a lot of interesting research venues and, and pathways, and eventually I got to the point where I had I'd written so much stuff even on my own. I thought, I need to do something with this. I need to put some of this out there. So I started a website in two, late 2008, pretty much right after Obama got elected. Uh, it was November, late November in, uh, in 2008 when I started libertarianchristians.com, and it was really just meant to be a blog um, where I would just put down stuff that I felt was, you know, uh, you know, important for understanding Christianity and, and liberty, and it just kept it kept growing and growing. It had a it had a good following. It's small following, and uh, you know it's a, it's pretty niche when you start thinking about it. Of course, and you know the uh, the church in and of itself doesn't tend to uh, just grab an immediate hold of libertarian ideas, despite being, you know, fairly favorable in, in kind of the philosophical sense toward it. Uh, and so, you know, it just kept on, it kept growing and it kept growing and I got a lot of, uh, interesting attention from people and, and became, became kind of a, you know, a, a dare I say a bit of a leader in the, in that community there and started a massive Facebook group that now has, uh, over the course of years, it now has over 8,000 people in it. And, uh, and then eventually we, we turned it into a nonprofit, hmm. uh, about in, uh, in 2015. Uh, where we, you know, we we uh, decided that we were going to turn it into turn it into a nonprofit. So we started the Libertarian Christian Institute there and got our uh, our five hundred one c three status in uh, what amounts to be record time. I'm told that, um, <laughs> and I have actually I have like physical evidence of the the determination letter, which basically based, based on the postmark, based on when I sent it versus when I got the. You know the uh, the their termination letter. It took them two weeks to give it to us.
0: Wow! I, it took me eight months once, which I thought was quick. I mean, there are yeah, some that'll take years. I,
1: uh-huh. I, uh, I in fact, uh, if you know if you if you know Alexander McCobin at Students for Liberty, a wonderful guy who's who's actually on our board as a strategic member. Um, he, you know, to help give us some guidance here and there. He says, if there's if there's any reason to believe in God, this should be it. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Well,
0: apparently, it was that Lois Lerner was not at the IRS at that point, and and yes, this was post just, that point. Yep, for sure. just stamped you right on through. That's great. So I, what, I guess so. so what sort of, I think, go ahead. Continue oh, on with the story. I,
1: I, I do think that perhaps one reason why that it probably got expedited through was because we kind of classify We, we thought about this a lot, actually, and we kind of classify in the IRS as a religious organization, hmm. so I, I think that may have helped us. Uh, but nonetheless, is hey, that's pretty awesome. So. Uh, so, what sort of work does the Libertarian Christian Institute do? So, following in kind of the tradition of what I was doing with LibertarianChristians.com, our mission is ultimately to equip the church to promote a free society. In other words, we care about promoting libertarian ideas to the church itself. Uh, while we are, of course, wanting to reach all as many libertarians as we can and show them that you know, hey, we are we are uh, on board with the libertarian philosophy. We understand its importance, and we agree that it is a way that we can act at peace with everyone. Uh, our, our primary mission is to is to really talk to the Church um, as, as an organization. Um, but we do, like I said, we'd love to talk to other libertarians, and in fact, we do um, a, a, upon occasion, and, and in a little surprising way, there are some people who actually become Christians in part because of the influence that we have been able to help bring forward, hmm. uh, which is really exciting for us, and not, it's sort of the unintended consequence uh, to borrow from another uh, famous economist for a moment. Uh, of doing something like this it's pretty cool uh, so we just try to produce materials and, and uh, you know articles videos podcasts uh, book length stuff even as, as best we can um, in, in order to, to help educate Christians and, and equip you as a libertarian who's also a Christian to go and talk to the church uh, about about being uh, in a free society.
0: Do you find that also part of your work because I, my, my story is basically I was an atheist republican and then ah. <laughs> and then around 911 I ended up becoming um a Christian shortly after that because of personal and global reasons and then, you know, a few years later ended up being becoming a libertarian just a couple of years after that. So then I became a Christian libertarian. Um but I yeah. I did spend and I have found that my libertarian my working through libertarianism really did help me in a lot of ways with my faith and vice versa. Being a Christian really helped me uh shape my libertarian identity where I empathy is a huge part of what I tried to Preach here on the show is that we have to sure. have empathy for other people, and that that is just directly tied to, you know, my Christian beliefs. Um, but do you find a lot of your work is people like yourself? I have this bucket of ideas, and I have this bucket of ideas, and I'm helping Christians, Christian libertarians, kind of reconcile because, you know, when I was a Republican uh even though I was an atheist I was uh you know the home of christian of christians was the republican party and then right. you become I talked to so many people when I was executive director of the libertarian party especially here in Indiana who said I would become a libertarian but uh, you guys don't believe in any kind of religion. <laughs> you you guys are libertines, basically, and I do, I think we do ourselves no favors. Which will we'll I'll ask you a little bit more about this later. Where, when we sure. are constantly preaching, ah, everybody can just do what they want, and that kind of reinforces that notion that Republicans are the home of of Christians. So is a lot of your work the reconciliation of those two belief systems?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not even sure I'd, e- I'd even call libertarianism really a belief system. Uh, it's it's an if anything, if it is a belief system, it's incredibly incomplete. Uh, and I look at worldviews as something that has to provide a more holistic uh, look at the entire world. Um, so th- I, yeah, I mean, I think. If anything, you know, libertarian philosophy is is limited in scope, as we like to say, mm-hmm. and uh, and really addresses, you know, um, you know, your your listeners know that that libertarianism tries to address the proper use of force and violence in society, if there is any at all. And how does that play out in various spheres of influence, whether that is we're thinking about the state or whether we're thinking about just legality uh, or how we deal with l- legal type issues and especially around the use of, you know, of property rights as being supreme and how we treat that, those sorts of things. Uh, and so, you know, that. Reconciling Christianity with that is, is not really—I mean, I mean, if anything, they're not antagonistic at all. It's really misperceptions that, uh, that cause people to, to question whether liberty is, in fact, the proper mode of action for or proper way of organizing society um, rather than you know, something else, uh, whether that being some sort of authoritarian streak from a state or the authoritarian streak of, of, uh, of an aberrant view in a church, for that matter. Um so that's I think that's the way you know we kind of approach it there uh for sure but isn't and let me
0: play John Stossel here but isn't religion <laughs> and christianity specifically just another oppressive belief system and libertarians are all about freedom so how how can you how can you advocate for relig- uh, religion in any kind of free society
1: well, that that would be very funny to really, you know, take that to the to its logical conclusion. If you really believe that, since it was Christians who really were, you know, quite influential in bringing forward liberty ideas in the West in the first place, <laughs> and so I, that's sort of a it's sort of a non sequitur when when we start looking at history that it was Christians who really pushed that forward. Now, incompletely for sure, uh, it was not understood perfectly by any means, and and there are you know we can we can indict our our. Uh, our forefathers uh, in the faith, even for some of those things, and, but recognizing that they were on the right path and that we have, it's our responsibility to improve upon their foundation uh, as well. So, you know, that, that's, I think that's one way to sort of answer that from a more historical point of view. The second one is that that doesn't really follow from what we learn in the scriptures uh, that, and, and from the person of Jesus who uh, who was absolutely about setting people free. Now, free from what, mind you? Free from, free from sin, and um, by, by freeing oneself from, from sin and being able to, uh, to, com- to commit oneself to the person and model of Christ, uh, you ultimately end up with perfect liberty as a result of that, in that even while in chains, uh, you can have the 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 people the people the Christians like Paul and uh, and the and the other apostles who were imprisoned, uh, truly believing that they were indeed ultimately free, even while in chains. Now that that's sort of a you know kind of a parallel uh, parallel thought about what freedom means in this instance, but they're also very much related, and that. You know, kind of like if you, you, you remember in V for Vendetta, for instance, that the movie where, you know, once once you you realize once she, the, the protagonist realizes that, she, you know, she can no longer be influenced um, or, or put or uh, or oppressed anymore by the by the torture and whatnot that's been going on to her. She she says in the uh, V says, then you truly are free. Uh, it's kind of a similar thing in, in a sense that uh, that by. You know, by committing to one one to those higher values, and in this case, being committed uh, to the person and model of Christ, uh, that we truly attain freedom that that goes beyond even that which we could we might call political freedom.
0: Well, I think in my specific case, Matthew six, where he talks about anxiety and living in the moment, Jesus talks about living in the moment and anxiety, and you know, why do you, why are you worrying? The birds of the air don't worry about uh, right. things, and he's basically teaching live more in the present. And stop being so worried. Stop worrying about the future. Stop thinking about the past. Just look at the people in front of you and love the people that are in front of you and deal with the reality. And to me, that was a point of personal freedom that I would not have attained had I not had a religious structure in my life to, you know, be it the Bible or the church or this entire belief system for me to kind of compare my reality, my world, my belief system, my life, my, you know, personal thoughts. To
1: I wouldn't have that point of freedom. That's uh, right, and and that kind of goes to the point that that liberty and and it happens on a bunch of different levels. Libertarianism really addresses part of it, but in a sense, uh, one might even be able to argue that you're not like you're not in a sense a full libertarian until you are fully free. And and I might and I would add that like that would mean being part of the uh, in part and being. Uh, Sorry, let me let me rephrase that. That would mean being in Christ, as the Apostle Paul writes, uh, and so that ultimately is like what kind of transforms us by the renewing of our minds constantly into more and more like Christ. Uh, that is, and that's thrilling when you think about it, even from a libertarian perspective. Um, you know, as Christians, we we understand how important that is, but then kind of. Take a step back and just go with it from a, from that libertarian point of view for just a moment. You're like, wow, that's kind of neat to think about. Well,
0: when people going back to the John Stossel question, people <laughs> if right. people look at the whole of the church or maybe even one specific person that they re- had a bad experience with, but if you look at people like Martin Luther, for instance, Martin Luther had very libertarian tendencies in fighting. I mean, he was he stood up to uh, was it King Charles. Uh, he stood up to the Pope of the time. I mean he basically took on all these various power structures and said, no, as an individual, I have the right to do this and they are individuals and they have the inherent right to read the scriptures for themselves. So you have these great libertarian leaning heroes through the, the through the church. Oh definitely. Uh, and you, as you pointed out, monasteries through the dark ages really kept all this ancient wisdom, Afloat. I mean, they they kept it hidden and secretive, and uh, you know it, it was carried through a lot of the monasteries throughout the world. Uh, so religion has done a lot of good in the world, and I think it sometimes gets a bad rap.
1: Oh yeah, definitely. And and that's not to say that it, that there aren't problems in the church today. And, and and some heinous ones at that. But as I'd like to say, you know, if 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 we're just hypocrites anyway, where else are we supposed to go than the church? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's, that's, I mean, it's where we got go to go to, in, in a way to, to receive nourishment to fix that, if you will. So, yeah, to
0: that point, I mean, the church was at the forefront. Yes, the scriptures were used by some people to justify African slavery in America. But it sure. was true Christians who were really leading the fight for abolition in this country— it's uh, Christian organizations today who are fighting to end sex slavery in our time. Uh, right. And that really goes to sort of my next question that you kind of alluded to, but something that I've been thinking through that I don't necessarily have the language to fully articulate. Maybe you can help me kind of flush this out a little bit. So conservatism, in a lot of ways, is libertarianism with the belief that you have to Support a moral structure in society, or else it falls apart like I, I I listen to Ben Shapiro every day. I think Ben Shapiro is very sharp. he has some atrocious beliefs about things like foreign <laughs> policy and immigration and other things uh, and he but he does articulate his point of view very well in that you do have to have a religious set of institutions to help move some things in society forward. And I hear libertarians say, "No, that's not the case. We just need the absence of all institutions. We need anarchy for society to flourish." And I think they don't really necessarily have their uh, point very well thought out because they don't understand the nature of human beings. We're going to collect into institutions no matter what. Eventually, it's like how do you how do you arrange it? And so there is a debate between conservatives and libertarians over the history of our uh, you know existence, especially over the twentieth century. Of how much uh how much should your moral beliefs influence your political beliefs? How much should your religion how much, you know, it's like how much peanut butter should you get in your chocolate? Uh <laughs> and and in in a purely anarchist society, I don't necessarily think that it would be every I think we sometimes think about it as every individual becomes their own self-government and it's a vacuum, a total absence of of cooperation with other people, at least in the way that a lot of people express it on Facebook. Now, if you go to like the Mises Institute, it's it's a lot more fleshed out, right? What is the relationship that you see of religious institutions in an anarchic, and I don't know if you're an anarcho-capitalist. I am. Um, that's, um, that's fine. <laughs> right. So, so what role do religious institutions play in an anarcho-capitalist society?
1: Well, let me, let me kind of back up and say, like, this is related to our organization as well that we actually have in our core values. And you can find you can find all of, all of this in our, uh, if you just go to libertarianchristians.com slash mission, uh, you can find our core values that we've recently kind of published and, and are pushing pretty hard here these days. Uh, one of those is that we want to make, it, make very clear that we believe that social institutions really do matter for human flourishing. So the, the reason we say that social institutions really do matter for human flourishing is for the simple reason that humans are social beings. That's what we were created to be. We were not created to live out as hermits and be atomists, but rather to work together and and develop these kinds of institutions. Now that those look in, you know in a variety, that look like a variety of different things. The most basic one being the family. And anybody who says that uh, you know libertarian or not who thinks that the family should be abolished for any reason is is out of their freaking minds. And you should run the other direction, <laughs> because that's just crazy. Uh, if they want to live on their own and do their own thing, is you know because they're libertarians, fine. But that's not the way that society is meant to be structured. Uh, families are important, and then building up from there, we have other t- types of institutions, businesses, neighborhood associations, even even to a certain extent, as bad as they can be sometimes. Um, but we're but these institutions that we build up, which would also include the voluntary organization that is the church. These are meant to be formed in peaceful, non-coercive ways, because that's just the way that humans were meant to interact together. And when humans interact together at all, suddenly you know there's there's a, going to be a the, the possibility and and incentive to create institutions in order to uh, to even for instance res- maybe in a way reduce transaction costs because it's better sometimes to be in institutions than to be alone. That's just that's just a fact. And so uh, liberty doesn't liberty doesn't need to discourage this by any means. It's, it's liberty wasn't in fact and, and and in fact there's just church and uh, and and knowledge and, and and things that have been written about the importance of social institutions for preserving uh, for preserving culture and preserving liberty these are important things and that's uh, really when it comes down to, to to being authentically human absolutely and I think the issue
0: is that institutions will build up and over time, Become corrupt, and you need to be able to break them apart very quickly and easily, and fragment into something that works differently and works better. And I think if you look at the church specifically, you had the the Catholic Church, which maintained its position of power by force for for many decades, Uh, and now you have denominations where they're constantly breaking apart and and uh, spiraling off into different directions. You know, the United Methodist Church, of which I was raised in, you know, there is an organization that was formed. It's the United Methodist because it came out of, I think it was the Evangelical Brethren and uh, the Methodist, and then they formed this... This basically super band of denominations, yeah. and now it's at the point where it's looking like it's going to break apart again over gay pastors, essentially. And that's the way it's supposed to be. Nobody, you know, one segment of the United Methodist Church is not going to use guns to force the other segment to stay in the actual agreement. Whereas with government, you have inherent force, and so yeah. you have. A distinct difference there in the way that those so libertarians often argue that structures, I argue that institutions like the family, like religious institutions, for instance, these are not bad things, these are just going to exist no matter what. It's when we start using force that it becomes the true issue, and that's why we need to move away from structuring society with government.
1: Yeah, I believe, in fact, that really one of the worst things to truly ever happen to the church universal, uh, and and this, in, you know. That, that includes the Catholic Church and everything, uh, was the unification of throne and altar t- through Constantine. And that was just, that was terrible. Uh, because suddenly this, this fringe movement, if you will, uh, of, of Christians, now suddenly had political power possibilities. And that just grew and grew and grew into a, into a more and more terrible thing. And it really took the, the, the Reformation to kind of begin to pull back the brakes on such. Uh, and that was that was really important, both for the you know, what ended up being the Pro- Protestantism and for the Catholic Church too. It was really important to, to for them to be getting backed off on as well. So I mean, that was really the Reformation was great for everybody in this respect. And so that that's I think that's really critical to remember is that some of the things that that really can we can uh, indict the the church for, uh, really happens when you have a when when you had that unification of throne and altar uh and and this and and the the usage of the church as you know from a state point of view was a was a really bad thing
0: well i think and many people in a silly fashion are against you know anybody who is a Christian using their belief system to inform their politics. And then they and then they cite things that happened in like thirteen hundred. <laughs> yeah, right. And You're just like, okay, that was like fifteen hundred years ago. Get over it. But what <laughs> what do you think? Uh, what role? What would you say to those people who say, oh, well, you're just a you're just a Republican in sheep's clothing. If you're a Christian and you're a libertarian, then you're basically just uh, trying to turn this into a. a a Republican light party because you're just a dominionist who is basically trying uh, to. That's <laughs> to, insane. Yeah. Well, I, I, well right. So, how how does the how does your personal belief system inform your politics
1: and individual issues? Everywhere uh, in so many respects, but it's really really the way I would describe it though is the, is that my Christian faith and libertarian ideas are concordant together. Uh, that is to say that what I am what I am understanding about the way, the way things are in, uh, in the world based from a, you know, a, a natural rights, natural law point of view, uh, from understanding economics and all of these things that are not laid out in full in the Bible, even the ethics that we understand from natural law, uh, it, limited in scope as they are, are concordant with that which we learn uh, from Scripture. Uh, the non-aggression principle, for instance, that, that, uh, that aggression should be prohibited. Uh, that the initiation of force is wrong, is something that we can, we can see in Scripture from a variety of different points uh, you know, throughout, throughout the, the Bible. Um, and, and sometimes it's expressed in, uh, in different ways, but it's, it's alluded to in so many ways, from thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not murder, murder to even thou shalt not covet. Uh, and then you, know, you, you see the, the, uh, the, the flip side of the non-aggression principle in kind of the golden rule, uh, and working together, these two things pro- like provide a fairly comprehensive ethic. That is that, you know, the, the, uh, the non-aggression principle is saying that you shouldn't do unto others what you don't want done to you, uh, in a sense, the golden rule states that you should do unto others what you would want done to you. So in a, in a way that provides uh, the double-sided ethic and so the two sides of a coin, if you will, that, uh, one uh, the, from the from the negative right standpoint uh, says this is what you shouldn't do to others. Period, and that becomes the, the basis of what is legal, if you will. But then there's a higher calling that we shouldn't force upon others per se. That's not it's not something that we can require others to do. But but God calls us as Christians to do to do something a little higher, if you will, or more. And that is that we should be looking to do to others and to help others in the way that we would want to be treated. To treat others the way we'd want to be treated is a great thing. Uh, and that that can that takes that takes a little bit of a of an additional uh, commitment, if you will, to an ethic. Um, but it's and it's more than libertarianism per se, but it doesn't go against it either. Uh, so that's important to kind of realize here. And and going back to par- another part of your question though, is, is that you know you, you just kind of said uh, why would a libertarian say like, well, why are you, don't, aren't you just Republicans light here? Well, the answer to that comes in, in the same, just in what we were saying here is like, we are committed to the non-aggression principle and doing that consistently, which means that you commit yourself to to the Republican Party's ultimate values, which which require you or at least to to have some sort of commitment to statism as a whole. Now, if you're there's. Some nuance there, we could say that you know, like Ron Paul does in participating in the Republican Party in order to enhance liberty in the world today and to reduce statism. like I understand that, and that's important. I don't want to discount that, uh, but recognizing where we ultimately stand from this ethical standpoint is important,
0: kind of skipping back there, you really kind of smash in that in that a little bit of the the beef against libertarianism. Is that it's all uh-huh. about selfishness and it's all about materialism. And I think Ayn Rand did the libertarian movement a disservice in a lot of ways by promoting the virtue of selfishness <laughs> because I think, to especially many people on the left, libertarians are just selfish people who just want to get rich and they want to, you know, build their own Somalia and then. You know, enslaved people, which is <laughs> Somalia, right? Which is not the not the case at all. I think part of why I hate the growth of the welfare state is that it has atrophied the church. in In its, you know, a hundred years ago, you had systems of, you know, the Salvation Army, the Red Cross. You had all of these civic organizations who did a lot of things that you know modern the wa- modern welfare state would do, but they did it better and they did it with. A human face and it wasn't a bureaucracy and it wasn't there wasn't as much waste and Christians were more engaged Jews and Muslims and and atheists were more engaged in helping people who are less fortunate if you remove the welfare state you end up with a more generous society and as of now everybody's sort of stringing it trying to make ends meet and they don't have the time to go out and and give as much as they could or should so I think a libertarian society is a much more generous society, and it completely defeats the notion of a selfish. the The virtue of selfishness is a tenet of libertarianism.
1: You know, there's so many things that you said there. I kind of want to touch on in a in a comment here. Uh, going back, you said something very early when we when we started this conversation that you know atheists seem to be very well represented in the libertarian movement. And and part of the reason why I kind of tried to take it on myself to promote these Christian libertarian ideas was that I could see, even before I'd ever started anything with LCI or LCC uh, at the time, that there were plenty of Christians in the libertarian movement. And it wasn't that we were not plentiful. It's just, just that the it wasn't that the voices weren't there, but that the other voices, the atheist voices, sometimes were rather overpowering. Yes, yeah, so let's use
0: the. Rather that overwhelming. Was, that was a very uh, Christian way to say that. <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> well, and 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 that's not to, to. I think it's it's worthwhile to you know recognize the positive things that even Ayn Rand did for us as as libertarians. I mean, she didn't even like libertarians. Didn't think that it you know <laughs> that that we had a very good philosophy. Always thought it was way too incomplete, and that her way of thinking was was totally the right way of going about it and but but she did have some really good things to say and some things that you know in many respects Christians should should embrace on some level not necessarily everything by any means um, one of them which i love that one of the favorite might the favorite thing that she said that i that i like to quote is she says that the moral is the practical uh, that is eminently obvious to uh, to libertarians and it's and it should be eminently obvious to Christians as well that but but sometimes they they forget this and they think that, well, there's just enough bad people in this world that it is important that we go on military adventurism and make sure that we're making the world safe for democracy and things like that, as if that's a good idea. Um, but, you know, what What Christians have always tried to say or, or should be saying, at least, and is that, you know, you can't accomplish good through evil means. By no means should we ever say that. That's something that the Book of Romans makes very clear. Uh, that that, uh, that that was something that was scandalously said about that, that Christians might believe at the time. And, and by no means should we ever try to do evil that good re- may result. That makes a lot of sense, even from just thinking about basic theology and that the way that God created the world was to be a win-win situation for us, is that through cooperation, through voluntary efforts— through things like trade and and voluntary association, we're able to enhance our state of being, to bring good things into the world, and pr- provide for those who are who are potentially uh, less fortunate, and to just to to live and flourish in this way. That is that is in fact the true dominion mandate that is explained in uh, that that we would, well that we understand from the Book of Genesis, not the dominionist mandate that some people like to to kind of propagate sometimes and as you sort of alluded to earlier where that trying to say well the church just needs to we need to come up with a church that'll control everything and all all legal action all whatevers and that's not the way it's meant to be either that's not the way god designed it as well so i think it's interesting that uh that ultimately you know these these sorts of ideas are are very concordant together the christian idea that ends don't justify means that all men are created equal. Oh, to borrow from a phrase there, that mo- our moral standings before God are equal; that we will all ansel- answer uh, to for for what we have done before God in the same way. That there is no there is no way that you can hold an office, wear a uniform, be a CEO, or be whoever, and come up with a different standard of morality that you will answer to before God at the end of at, at the end of days, if you will. That is uh that that is a you know that's what we believe as Christians likewise libertarians think that the standard of morals for everyone is identical that you don't get a free pass because you're a government official or you have some type of extra standing or you have more money than somebody else does that morality is consistent across the spectrum that's what matters there and so these are common grounds that uh that even atheist libertarians and christians who are libertarian as well can kind of recognize that, ah, look, we do have a way that we can interact peacefully together and not be at each other's throats ever.
0: Yeah, and it takes the teeth out of things because you can, you know, (laughs) if you you take a, a, let's take a divisive issue, Let's say same-sex marriage, but ten years ago. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, if you if you are a Christian who doesn't believe that a gay ca- a gay couple should be married in your church, uh, then fine, they can be married at the Episcopal Episcopal church down the street, uh, and you're not involved in any way, shape, or form because it's not a uh, a government function in any way, shape, or form either. So there really is no effect on your life, and if you have an opinion, stuff it. You know, because you're not involving the state in the marriage, you're not involving your church in the marriage, and they have an option to live their life as they see fit, uh, and everyone goes home happy. <laughs> you know, there's yeah. as, to, as opposed to what we have now, where when we evolve politics and everything in the left, certainly, I think, is so much—that's why they're so eager to get control of the Supreme Court, because they want to politicize every single aspect uh, of society, and at least there are some Republicans that are libertarian leaning and just say, "Can we just have these few things that aren 't politicized there there isn 't the kind of rushing to battle when you 're involving when you 're not involving the state you know you don 't have to when you 're using the state to enforce your belief system on other people, they feel the need to fight back and then eventually just gets to a really ugly place, which is where I think we are now that 's the beautiful thing about libertarianism and it just doesn't—you The you can live out your belief system and do the things that you'd like to do. And, hey, if you want to be a libertine and you want to live life uh, for pleasure only because you're not going anywhere, but or if you want to live as, I don't know, a Mormon family of 19 and <laughs> <you have> 19 <laughs> kids and you you structure your world entirely around your church and your scripture, then so be it you know you're not forcing other people to live the way that you want to live and so it kind of becomes that we've said the word dominionist but correct me if i'm wrong if i say anything but it basically is structuring uh the government to be a biblical government almost like a sharia law in for christians you know, it's it, one way of describing it. Yeah, I suppose. yeah, it takes it takes the I think for the atheist libertarians who like, oh, no, the libertarian Christians are coming. It's like, yeah, but we're not going to use the state to make you become a Christian. We just want to live this way and you live that way and we're all good.
1: Well, in fact, we just say we wouldn't use the state. Right. Like, <laughs> that's the whole point. And if, I and if I don't have the state to force you to do anything, then either like either I am thus, thus a criminal for trying to force, you know, you at the point of a gun to do something or, I'm just trying to persuade you. And there's no there's no limits on the uh, efficacy of persuasion. Uh, in fact, that's what libertarians want to do when they try to make non-libertarians libertarians. Right. Right? I mean, that's the whole point, is that you have to persuade someone <laughs> to adopt your viewpoint. So if libertarians are going to complain of Christians about doing something like that, well, then they have to kind of look in the mirror and go, well, what are we doing here? Right. So. Yeah, I mean I I don't think there's really any conflict there anymore if we if we then just exit the state from the scenario.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, and so I think you, uh, you you kind of struck me. I I just read a book recently by Matt Chandler who is a great pastor out of Texas uh, and he wrote a book called Take Heart. And he basically talked about speaking from a place of courage uh and sharing your faith because society's now structuring itself uh and society is structuring itself in a post-Christian world. And you don't have the benefit of people just automatically uh, being exposed to Christian ideas. You now have to persuade people. And it, and it reminded me so much of libertarianism because we haven't lived in a world where it's been automatic exposure to libertarian ideas. You have to go out and persuade people. But I've seen in in the Christian world, uh, Rob Dreyer wrote a book called The Benedict Option. They have There are a lot of books coming out now where people... Uh, so what role do you think libertarians within the church... Can really help messaging within the Christian church because of our experiences of being in the wilderness for oh I don't know all of human history.
1: (laughs) You know that's a really interesting question because I'd kind of I I think there's probably some lessons to be learned going both directions. In fact, like Christians can probably learn uh, learn from libertarians about how to go and be bold in the presentation. Um, There, you know, not in the way of, of of. you know, the bullhorn guy, that, that classic, you know, the guy that shows up on your university campus with a bullhorn and, and yells at, yells at everybody and gets a lot of attention. Um, that's, that's not the boldness when with courage presentation that I would, that I would think is important. Um, but rather, you know, the idea that, that libertarians do have, you know, we have to go out there and be well-read knowledgeable about what we're trying to say and, and ready and willing to use effective rhetoric in the presentation of our ideas and to be persuasive. Okay, that's, a, that's something that Christians can probably take heart from and, and learn from. Uh, likewise, though, I think there's, you know, there's probably some ways in which libertarians can learn from Christian, uh, insofar as it, you know, sometimes it is better to take the gentler approach, um, uh, you know, even when it is courageous in, in its approach uh, and, and fully convinced, um, but, but being gentle in its presentation, uh, at times, that's something that that uh, Christians have kind of learned to do in many respects. At least, that's something I've I've tried to do, uh, and and I think that there's a lot that you know a lot of of, uh, of lessons that libertarians can sometimes learn from that. Um, likewise, I think one one lesson that libertarians can probably you know get from uh, Christians is that political power gaining political power is not necessarily a good thing. Just as we talked about earlier, that one of the worst things ever that happened to the church. Was that that unification of throne an altar again with Constantine? Uh, just gaining you know your favored guy in that high spot of power is not exactly a a, a true favorable scenario at times. Um, I, I've, while,
0: lo- I've long said that the gay marriage debate completely destroyed the evangelical church as we know it, and the Republican oh, party in many ways, okay. Well, I mean,
1: uh, how do you how do you mean and what, what, how would you explain that? So in terms of the
0: power of the evangelical movement at, within the Republican Party, the Pat Robertson caucus that started in the 80s, uh, okay. that that general that general structure of s- societal power, I guess, really kind of ran into a buzzsaw in the 2000s as gay marriage started to see a lot more acceptance in society. And. And it wasn't as much that they were that they were saying that gay marriage was wrong. It was hypocrisy that really, I think, was the buzzsaw for the, the modern evangelical movement that kind of came out of the Billy Graham organization in the 50s and then you know coalescing around Jerry Falwell and the, and the religious right. Maybe not the evangelical church, but the religious right and those associated. I think once they made the move into politics and tried to become more of a political force a a stricter standard was applied to many people, many of the leaders. And then once you get the Ted Haggards who are caught in in you know doing cocaine with underage boys, <laughs> then then all of a sudden everybody goes, "Oh, all all these people are just all hypocrites." And I noticed a very significant shift from my early days as a Christian to the end of the decade from 2000 to 2010 in the attitude of society towards the Christian Church at large, because of politicization, they chose to make themselves a political force, and I think it they paid a price.
1: Yeah, I think you you make a good point, and that should I mean I think it kind of bolsters. Well, you're you're lifting up all of this, and you know we're lifting each other up here, yeah. and, uh, and 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 in what we're trying to you know get at, which is that this you know the political power that we seek sometimes, uh, well maybe not that we seek, but that is sought. At times, is a is a true double-edged sword, uh, and at the moment you get it, you you may have a, You may end up with a serious problem on your hands. Right. Whereas, you know, if Christians focus on a couple of different things, namely the presentation of the gospel to the to society, and the promotion of true freedom, if you will, as a as a subsidiary thing to that. Then, then our influence would probably rise because there would be no, uh, no impetus for, like, we're just trying to get into power so we can control what's going on, but rather we want people to live as they, as they, as they please, provided that they're, that they're not executing force against others. I mean, that's, that's liberty. That's the libertarian idea as well, for that matter. Uh, it's just that it's got attached to it uh, at that point that we, we do that for the purpose of, uh, as Christians at least, uh, for the sake of Christ.
0: So, what do you say to conservatives who say that uh, if if you're going to have societal order, there has to be a religious angle to it, or else you end up with hell on earth?
1: Yeah. So, like that, there's that if you don't have the Christian backdrop there, you know, some that there's just going to be a dissolution of society. I, th- I think it's kind of where you're going with that. And, right. and yeah, I mean, on some level, there's probably something to it, but but not in the sense of that uh, that the state needs to be the one to maintain it. Because the state is a really bad propagator of culture. In fact, it's really the culture de- it's the culture destroyer. From whether you're thinking about you know the the, the export the exportation thereof, which you know the, destroys cultures through war and interventionism, or destroying the culture at home. Through through its various ways of restricting action and trying to nudge people in, in various ways that may not necessarily be the 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 right way of of behaving or the right way of of really organizing each other, the thing is that I, I think Christianity re- inherently recognizes that uh, that voluntary action is the only way that we can truly organize society and have order. Uh, like it, that, it was sort of redundant there. Let me let me restate that that Christianity, Christianity states that voluntary action is the only way that we can truly have like authentic order in society. Because it's, if you have a society that is characterized by the oppression as its normative practice to getting what we want, then that is pure chaos. That is that the word anarchy at that point. I cannot go through my daily life Uh, without expecting aggression as being the normative measure of how things are done in the world, then I truly have a chaotic existence to live through. Christianity turns that on its head, and libertarianism also turns that on its head by saying that aggression is prohibited, that if we're going to interact together in peace, that it has to be through voluntary means. And so statism inherently turns things chaotic, and dare I say that more anarchical uh, in the in the negative sense of the word, uh, way of looking at things, not not you know as we understand you know and and cap stuff, but true chaos is statism, and true chaos is where you, you allow for aggression to be the way that you're going to organize each other organize our interactions together yeah because true change so there's your religious basis there (laughs) yeah
0: i mean true change really comes from within you have to decide to get better i mean i didn't lose weight because someone put a gun to my head and told me i had to lose weight i'm sure i would but you know in in a in a free society, in terms of weight loss, for instance, like in America, you know, I had to choose to make a change in my life. I completely see what you're saying because persuasion really comes about when the person accepts it inside of themselves uh, and decides to take charge of their own world and and the world around them. And yeah,
1: absolutely, that makes uh, total yeah. sense. So what Shapiro is saying there is that is essentially that they're needs to be somebody to force people to behave in a certain way. Mm-hmm. There needs to be somebody who 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 is able to force a particular uh, a particular moral standard that does that is over and beyond not aggressing against people. Right. And that to me is is where it starts breaking down from a religious point of view because from from my christian perspective that is something i am prohibited from doing. Mhm. So if it's kind of logically here again, I'm kind of rehashing, but logically then, if I'm prohibited from doing that as a Christian, and I believe that God created this world to be its own self-sustaining thing, when people are when people act morally and thus practically, uh, that that if you start incorporating aggression into that, flourishing diminishes. Yeah, as absolutely. A rule. Right.
0: Yeah, and it, and it really stems from the you know. Becoming, a, if you if you understand, maybe and maybe you can kind of articulate this uh, and what it means exactly to become a Christian and kind of define that process because I think that will help kind of give an idea to people who may not be a Christian who don't understand quite what we're saying. And maybe put it in terms more personal terms: the idea of accepting Christ within yourself not that people are wanting society like to me i watched braveheart today and like that wasn't a very <laughs> you know maybe that was a christian society run by the church but that wasn't a very christian universe you know like the the state right. the state was forcing itself on you know n- new wives and everything what, well, what can you can you talk about the the process of personal acceptance and that process of personal change as when you become a christian
1: uh sure and sure kind of and i think it? the the the, the the essential means, or the essential way of describing this, and I've I've used this word before, you know, and just earlier in the podcast here. Becoming a Christian means you are taking on the model of Christ. Uh, being a Christian literally means being a little Christ, if you will. That's what that's what the word Christian really kind of means here. And uh, why why do we care about that? Is that we are we are created in the image of God, and God wants us to be individuals but also to maintain that image of Him in a certain way and uh, and like we're both individuals and yet part of him. and that means uh, that we're, we take on who Jesus is as a model. And what I'd enc- you know, encourage anybody if you if, if that intrigues you, uh, start reading the Gospels and look at what Jesus says about how the world should be. And it's revolutionary when you think about it, because he exposes so much about who we are as human beings and how fallen that we really are, uh, in so many different ways. And his activity um, demonstrates this to us, and his ultimate, uh, his ultimate persecution by the by the by the Jews and the Romans, and his his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, demonstrates to us that yeah, he's really he's really here for the long haul, and he's the real deal. Uh, and, and so to put it simply, like taking that on as a model is the, is the ultimate sense in which one becomes a Christian. Then part of that is of course being involved in the Christian community. And so, you know, again, if you're interested in that, read the gospels and, and start talking to a church about it, uh, and what, what that, what that should mean. Uh, once you get to that point, then that's wonderful.
0: Yeah. Do you have any sort of, specific uh denomination that you're affiliated with are you uh, a broad organization how does that work with the libertarian christian institute
1: oh so so okay so lci itself we are not involved with the denomination uh we're a you know again we're a registered 501c3 organization so we we publish articles from all sorts of different uh sections of christian of christendom uh from the catholics uh, and from the Greek Orthodox, we've we try to promote you know as many as many different perspectives out there as we can in that respect, just so that we can show people that this is not unique to any just to Protestants or just to one denomination or just to Catholics or just to Orthodox, but this is something that we as Christians who fall under the Apostles' Creed and that's what we believe about about who Jesus is and and who God is. Uh, that that generic sense of being Christian is something that we can we all are part of that, and we all also. Uh, agree with the ideas of liberty. Now, me personally, I'm part of the Churches of the Christ, which I th- I think has a wonderful uh, kind of liberty heritage in many respects. Uh, which uh, which maybe sometime that's something else we could talk about, but <laughs> it's a wonderful thing. And uh, and as many denominations have wonderful people in them who w- were a- adamant about liberty for people for for everyone for the world. Uh, and so that we think that's an important thing to do and to represent in in what we do. Great. Well, is there a common question? Like, all right. So, I was talking to
0: somebody recently, and they were like, "I did these uh, videos because I was tired of answering the same question over and over and over." <laughs> is, is there like a question that you get all the time that you just are tired of answering because you get asked it so frequently?
1: Wow. Okay. Well, I think let's let's go with the, this. Just the super common one. Uh, the, the the probably the biggest question that you get, and this is the bugaboo. Uh, the bugaboo question is: How do you interpret that that nasty passage, Romans 13?
0: <laughs> okay, explain <laughs> Romans
1: that. chapter 13. Yeah, it's that it starts off and it says, you know, the uh, it's a it's a the apostle Paul is writing to the to the Roman church at the time and is saying, you know, basically that the state is ordained by God and and uh, and so on and so forth, and it's there to bear the sword, and and it makes some some kind of statements that if on. Very cursory, plain reading might be that might be kind of a justification for the state itself, and this becomes uh, really nasty when when certain um, authoritarian type leaders want to use it to quell opposition to their author- to their presumed authority. Uh, even the likes of Adolf Hitler tried to use Romans thirteen as to why. Fall behind him and uh, and and adhere to his rule, if you will. We've seen it even more recently, uh, even ten years, ten or twelve years ago in Zimbabwe, uh, that some one of the their leaders tried to do that. Didn't and Jeff? Of course,
0: didn't Jeff Sessions just do it? Like not even two months ago with uh, and, and,
1: and I, yeah, and I was and I was going to say that, that like this is hardly even a one month ago <laughs> when this started coming up with respect to the immigration uh, restrictions and and why you know why that was a uh, important to, to and. and because some Christians were objecting to the the breakup of families, you know, at the border, which you, you know is a pretty natural thing to do. You'd think that'd be a you know pretty heinous thing to do. But then Jeff comes in and says, "Well, you know, you know, you Christians should just remember that Romans thirteen is uh, is is part of where we get our authority essentially, and says that you know following the law is a good thing." Blah, 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 blah. And look, that's not. A very, very surface way of doing theology, and we definitely do not promote such things. <laughs> in fact, really, you know, to, to, to answer the, the, the question in short, like, what does Romans 13 really mean? I think that the—okay, the, the short way of answering that is that it w- was written to a particular people at a particular time, uh, those being Roman Christians who were living under Nero, by the way. A lot worse than uh, <laughs> than a Trump or Obama or Bush. We were right. talking freaking Nero here, <laughs> the guy who burned Christians at stakes and fed them to lions and things like that. So why is it that Paul would write that? Well, you you it might be because uh, perhaps that uh, that people were getting confused in that you know their newfound freedom in Christ that they. That they now believe that they had, and they did indeed have, uh, should be used in such a way to say, like, well, we're going to stand up to, we're going to stand up to him right now, and uh, and and not pay our taxes or or you know go go up in resistance against him. We're going, that's what this means now, that for us, um, and and in a sense, like that, that's what Paul is reacting against, saying, no, 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 wait, 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 wait a second, guys, you're. Newfound Freedom in Christ, which I just talked about in the previous couple chapters here, is really, you know, needs to be focused on spreading gospel, as opposed to spreading resistance like that politically right now. And, and thus, you know, prudentially, what you should be, you know, what you should do is behave as reasonable citizens of, of your empire right now. Take it easy, guys. Um, don't, don't just blend in, per se, but uh, don't don't come up in arms right now against this. Um, but rather recognize what your true purpose is and act prudentially in the face of these overwhelming odds that you're never going to possibly be able to to fully execute against. Uh, and so, you know, there, there's a there's a, a big problem in the church today that kind of tries to use this as a proof text for statism while ignoring so many of other scriptures in the Bible that tend to criticize statism or cr- criticizing the state in general and very specifically, uh, both in a, in a, in a very direct sense and in a metaphorical sense. And, uh, and, and there's really a, there's a huge problem in, in kind of tunnel visioning to Romans 13, rather than taking the whole council of scripture uh, as your as your example there, because really you know the state is maligned in scripture from the from the book of Genesis to the end you know in the beginning to the and all the way to the end in Revelation where it's shown that its ultimate destiny is in destruction right uh, and so that's that's really important to remember now it, that's the, again that's sort of the short you know quick and dirty way of answering it I go into a lot more detail in a in an article that you can Google at any time called New Testament Theology of the State. And if you and if you look at look at libertarianchristians.com, uh, and and find the articles called New Testament Theology of the State, uh, that article or t- it's a series of two articles really, uh, which is an award winning article by the way. Uh, <laughs> Who? Where? Did, uh, what, what award? Oh well, I, I won a. Uh, I wrote it in grad. School and I won a, a Christian Scholars Conference award uh, oh, cool. for best paper with it, so it's pretty cool. But that was way back; <laughs> That was like over ten years ago, so it doesn't really matter.
0: <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's, once it's an award good. winner, always an award winner. <laughs> it's like I'm going to call you Mr. President if you're Bill Clinton, even though it's been twenty years.
1: <laughs> well, that, that, that I guess that I guess that makes sense. But uh, I'd still say my dissertation on uh, on polymers was better. But you know, that's a whole other story. <laughs> 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 yeah. Nonetheless, uh, the, the if you again if you Google uh, libertarianchristians.com, New Testament theology of the state you'll find this and and I address in that in that um, in that article or series of articles uh, a few different passages that are really important to understanding truly how to kind of approach a theology of the state in the scriptures, namely um, Matthew chapter five and the temptations of Jesus, uh, uh, and then um, Matthew twenty one and rendering unto Caesar. Uh, that passage, and then Romans thirteen, finally, uh, and really trying to approach, and and that's not even like the complete way of doing it. That's like the shorthand way is addressing those three passages in the New Testament. But you know, we're not even we haven't even gotten into the Old Testament yet, <laughs> and so uh, that's a whole other story. So so there's a lot of of good Bible that you can bring to bear in in understanding why the state is so horrible, uh, and you know, from from Genesis in chapter nine all the way to to Revelation. Uh, and so, you know, you can, and I would encourage anybody to join up with our with our website. Uh, you know, get on our mailing list and and start perusing around in our resources there and learn all that we have to say about that. And and uh, it, not just I've written. I mean, I've, I write, I write some pretty good stuff, but we got a lot of really good people write for us. If I were to do that, at what URL should I visit? Well, I would go to www.libertarianchristians.com. dot dot com. Okay, and. And definitely look for, you know, on the front page, uh, the get started here button, because that's a great way to kind of overview some of all, some of this stuff. And if you find that you'll find those new Testament theology, the state and various other things too, that'll be helpful.
0: What is the name of your podcast? Uh, and what kind of things do you, how's your podcast structured? What do you talk about and and where can people find that?
1: Oh, cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah, we do have a podcast. It's just called the libertarian Christian podcast. And, uh, it's, it's, you know it's listed on iTunes, and you can find it there. Or if you use Android and you use like Podcast Addict or Stitcher or whatever, you can find it uh, through searching around there. No problem. We're we're everywhere. Or you can just go to our website and download ed- episodes individually at the at the pages that are in. So we have four different people who are kind of rotating in and out as our as our host, and that includes me, Doug Stewart, uh, Nick Gausling, and then Jason Rink, who I think you may know. Uh, and, and we do a bunch of different formats as well. We've done Q and A type, uh, episodes and we've done interviews. We do just pure discussions where we're, where we take a topic and we dissect it and, uh, and go through a bunch of different, you know, ways of thinking about it. And, you know, and then of course we do, we do a bunch of different things. We even have, have rehashed some of our old presentations, um, from, uh, and, and done like kind of annotated editions of some of our Christians for Liberty conference, uh, uh speeches and, and, you know, things like that as well. Uh, and so it's a great thing. We've been running it now for just about a year and a half, uh, and and it's been super fun to do. Um, we've really enjoyed putting it together for everybody, and, and it's only going to continue. Uh, we put out an episode roughly once a week, and it usually shows up on Monday or Tuesday, one or the other. All right,
0: cool. So where can people follow you personally? I'm sure that people have a... Ton of questions, or <laughs> knowing my audience criticisms. Uh, <laughs> oh, that's okay. You know, I uh, so, take
1: it. I take it in stride. <laughs> so,
0: if uh, if people want to write you and get in touch with you, uh, or if you send it to editor at wearelibertarians I can forward it to them. But uh, yeah, I mean, how can people follow you? Where can they get in touch with you? And how can they interact with uh, the Libertarian sure. Christian Institute?
1: Well, there's a few different ways. Of of course, we've got for uh, you know our website is is our primary is libertarianchristians.com. Uh, we're all over social media. Uh, we have our our libertarian Libertarian Christian Institute page, uh, which I think is just facebook.com/ libertarianchristians. And uh, and we have a we post a lot of different stuff there. Just sharing articles. We share our own material. We share others. We do memes and have a lot of fun and try to a lot of trouble as well. Uh, we have our massive Facebook group, which I, I mentioned earlier has about 8,000 people in it, um, really of a variety of different uh, backgrounds and both religious and libertarian wise. Um, so it's a, it's a great place to learn. Um, we get a <laughs> there's a you know, we talked about other questions that get rehashed over and over again. You'll usually find those happening once a week over there. And that's great. Um, it's a great place to learn. Uh, and then you can you can find us on Twitter as well at, L, at LCI official. Uh, which is uh, which that's our main Twitter page. You can also just find me at, at Norman Horn. Uh, I'm not super active on Twitter, but uh, you, if you if you uh, mention me, I'll try to I'll try to <laughs> respond as timely as I can. I'm not always very good about that. Um, but if you do find our page on Facebook, that's usually a pretty good way of, of, of catching us. Uh, we're very responsive to questions on there. And also, you know, you can contact us at libertarian dot com slash contact. And uh, you can message us from there as well. So there's a bunch of different ways you can you can reach us. And uh, and we encourage you to do that if you have questions or would like to get involved somehow.
0: Awesome. Well, I will definitely I think I might be in there, but I'm going in there to check out the memes. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll see some fun ones. <laughs> <laughs> All right.
0: Thanks so much for joining me. This was a, a great conversation. and I'd love to have you back sooner rather than later and uh, and talk about some more stuff. And um, I really appreciate you coming on and, and taking the time.
1: Oh, Chris it's my honor I'm definitely pleased to be here thanks for thanks for having me on man it's been really fun
0: absolutely all right thanks
1: and we will see you
0: in just a couple days